You've hit play on The Screen Companion, a show about helping you to decide what to watch tonight. I would like to dedicate the following Father's Day episode to my dad, the Kramer to my Kramer. Today's going to be a dad-tastic episode featuring my good buddy and experienced dad, Max. We're going to be talking about Kramer vs. Kramer from 1979, as well as Mrs. Doubtfire from 1993. Let's jump right into our first movie, Kramer vs. Kramer. It's about a family that gets blindsided by the sudden exit of the mom, leaving the dad and son to adjust to being a family of two. Max, since this was your first time ever watching this movie, how did you feel when the credits started to roll? So this was my thought at the very end, but also my thought throughout the whole movie. Fuck Meryl Street. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long did it take you before you just really hated her character? Ah. Uh. Was it the very first scene, or was it later when she reappears? The very first scene with her, I was a little hesitant. I was like, maybe there's a good reason behind this. Maybe there's something else I just don't know that's going on. So I gave her the benefit of the doubt. But then later on when she reappears, I'm like, oh, oh no, it's on now. (laughs) It just so happens this particular movie, The Antagonist, I found her pretty despicable. Were there any heartfelt moments that affected you in terms of the father-child dynamic? Like anything about the plot that resonates with you and your relationship with your dad? With my dad? No, not really. Not to say that he was a bad dad in the sense of like, oh, he never tried for us. He never really had to go through any of these hardships with us. It's more of a He wasn't really taking on that big of a role as a father most of the time because he was always at work. When he was around, it was more of a, all right, let's just keep our voices down. Let's all just be chill and try and relax and not kill each other because we just want to have a good atmosphere. You're neutral. I'm neutral. Let's keep it this way. Sounds like your upbringing is what this movie would have been had Meryl Streep not left. Yeah, pretty much. That's why I saw a lot of, actually, in these movies. This one, especially. Dustin Hoffman's character, Ted, he is the overworked dad, doesn't spend a lot of time at home, and if she had stuck around, that probably would have been maintained, and he definitely wouldn't have developed as strong a bond with his son as he does by the end of the movie. There were a lot of things that could have been done differently from the get-go. In terms of relationships and how to manage personalities, that could have fixed a lot of problems. But this was back in the 70s where some of this stuff wasn't really spoken about. So I can see it happening all the time. And yet, for all the 70s hairstyles, it does feel ahead of its time in shining a light on fathers being nurturers and how it's not typical for the father to fulfill that role, but they can, and in the movie he does. I 
feel like there's been a lot more talk about the father's role in a kid's life in the last 10 or 20 years, maybe. Yeah, sounds about right. I was thinking about that, too, while watching it. If this is how fathers really were back in the 70s, would I have been this way? Or would I have been any better? Would I have been a lot worse? really got my gears moving in that sense. I really responded to this movie, and it's because I did grow up in a single-parent household. In a lot of ways, this movie feels like low-hanging fruit because the friction between Billy the son and Ted the dad is just very conventional as par for the course in family dramas. But still, it means that the moments are all relatable, like Billy throws a tantrum because he doesn't understand what's going on, and Ted gets frustrated. And it's like, who hasn't been on at least one side of that dynamic? And since I grew up with just my dad, I can totally identify with Ted and Billy. Although it wasn't under the same circumstances of a custody battle, thankfully. When they're sitting with each other at the table, eating breakfast, or when they're arguing, it's like, yeah, I can relate to that. And certainly as I've gotten older and after watching this movie, I can see from my dad's perspective where it can be rough. You're trying to get to work at six in the morning and you're waking up your kid to get to the babysitter and he throws a tantrum, me in this <laughs> case. And he's just so frustrated and almost like, well, I can't smack him, but Jesus, kid, you got to get off your ass. <laughs> I got to get to work. <laughs> I actually didn't see myself in any way like Billy. I actually saw myself a lot as Ted because I had a lot of these interactions with Fernie. All these, like, father-son clash moments. All right, Fernie, we gotta get ready to go to daycare. I don't want to go. No, you're gonna go. You have no choice in the matter. Wow, he's already talking back? I didn't think he was old he enough He wasn't yet. necessarily talking back. It's more of a, I feel tired. I don't want to go. It's like, no, you're lying to me. I know you're lying. You're going. It's more uh, emotionally you're catching his vibe. Yeah. Unfortunately, he is me. He is not a social <laughs> creature. He's very shy. And I can tell when he's not about it. It's like, you got to be better than me. You got to go out there. You got to learn how to make friends, buddy. I'm sorry. It's funny the way you say that. It's like, I'm sorry, but you should make friends. <laughs> you know, having to be sorry to tell somebody you should make friends. <laughs> it's like, son, you don't understand humans. This is normal for them. I know it doesn't feel good to you, but we had to blend in. We've been grazing this idea that you're Ted in this movie if you're going to be identifying with a character. And I'm wondering if there are any specific moments in the story that you really, really identified with from your parental experience. Oh, every single time Ted made a mistake, I was like, okay, that's me. That's me to a T. Or trying to balance three things at once. That happens all the time. All those little, like, again, father-son moments. Him falling off the jungle gym. That really got to me because I remember when Fernie got hurt for the first time. I remember when Fernie got hurt for the third time. It never feels good. That performance that Dustin Hoffman gives, so much of it is helped by the universalness of it all. You see him get angry at his son, and then the mood changes, and he's depressed about it. Or he just feels frustrated himself because he knows it's... Or maybe it's me projecting, but it's like he knows that the situation sucks. 
but it's a general suckiness that isn't necessarily his fault or his son's. It's just what they're going through. How would you rate Ted Kramer in this movie? What do you think of him as a father? At the very beginning, terrible. Is textbook what you should not be doing as a father slash husband. But halfway through, it's like, all right, yeah, this is what I expect a normal father to be. See, most of these things happen, being able to identify what to do, but still screwing up. That's literally the stage where I'm at. By the end of it, he did pick up his act. He did do everything a lot better. All right, that's what I strive to be. I strive to be the kind of father that can actually handle it all, no matter what it takes. That last third of the movie, he really does go on a journey. Like you say, he becomes what a dad should be about halfway through the movie. But by the end of it, I would say give this guy Father of the Year award. He's going above and beyond, going through all this crap for his kid because at some point, Meryl Streep's character, Joanna, comes back into the picture and she wants custody of her son. And correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't she want sole custody of him? Yeah, it looks like it. I don't fully understand how custody battles work, but it looked like he was just going to get visitation rights. The gall of her to come back all of a sudden and just say, I want full custody of him. And that's part of what, to me, made her so evil. They do a great job of showing both sides and not making her totally despicable, but damn. She doesn't want to try for 50-50. She wants full custody. And when Ted doesn't automatically want to go with it, it's like, lady, you're nuts. How would you think he was going to react? (laughs) I mean, it only makes sense to me. I'm his mother. I'm supposed to have full custody. No, you were his mother. You still are technically, but you weren't for the last 18 months. Come on. What moment with her made you the maddest? When she literally returned, like when you see her at the window, it's like, no, no. (laughs) She especially looked creepy in that scene, just staring out through the window, hands up on the glass, like, he's mine. It's like a block away from her kid's school, and she doesn't even have the decency to actually, well, not that I think she should have just come up to her son you know, go through the father first. But is it not until the very end that it's implied that she is going to actually talk with her boy? The whole time, I was like, there was no discussion. There was nothing about that. It was just, I want him. Well, what does he want? I'm pretty sure he wants me. It had to be ordered by the court for the son to finally be able to see the mom. But had she not gone nuts early on, it probably could have been a little smoother. When she gives her testimony during the hearing, she says how she went to California and she found herself in the course of all those months. Billy needs her more than he needs his dad. She seems so out of touch with reality. I want her to be better. I think the beginning when she leaves, it's probably due to what we would now call a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, she's not inherently bad, but I don't really see the acknowledgement from her that it's pretty messed up to just abandon your kid. I thought a lot about that whole part, especially just at the very beginning. There's no real context. You see her getting up and leaving. You have no idea who this woman is. 
during the whole court proceeding, you find out, oh, before she had the kids, she actually had a job. And after having the kids, she was in discussion with her husband about getting back into work, and he kept shutting that down every single time. Did she need the job to continue her previous identity? Or was it just that she needed a break from the kid? Yeah, true. Do you think it would have helped humanize her more if they actually had flashbacks to what they're talking about in court? Because otherwise, we just have their testimony. And you kind of got to wonder, how hard did you try telling Ted that you were having problems? Just the way it started. Very confusing. But if I had to do any changes all over again, I would probably keep that the way it is. Just feed you those little details later on. Maybe not so late as the court case, but maybe when he's going through all those documents and like packing her stuff up. She is something of an empty vessel throughout this movie, relating her to a character like Winona Riders and Stranger Things. Meryl Streep, she's a really good crier, and she does that like 70% of this movie. Eyes are always red and puffy. She just comes off as unhinged because of all the crying she does in her scenes. Oh, yeah. Any moments, speaking of crying, that got you to well up? That scene after the court case where Ted and Billy are talking near the park, like under a bridge, and they're both starting to kind of break down and sob. You nailed it for me, buddy. That was (laughs) it. (laughs) Because it's killing Ted to say it. And Billy doesn't want to hear it, especially after we've seen Ted go through all of his struggles. He sacrifices a lot, and he makes all the moves he can to hold on to his kid. And Billy accepts the new dynamic, and they really love each other. And then the rug's just pulled out from underneath, both of them. Well, the problem is, is that your mommy and I both want you to live with us, see? So that's why we decided to go see this man, the judge. And we let him decide because he's very wise and experienced about these things. He agreed with mommy, thought it would be a terrific idea. He'd move in with her and live there from now on. And I'm really lucky because I get to have dinner with you once a week. And two times a month we spend the weekends together. Where's my bed going to be? Where am I going to sleep? Oh, well, mommy's figured that all out. You have your own bedroom at her place? Where are all my toys going to be? At mommy's. We're going to take all your toys over there. Play your cards out of it. You should buy us some new ones. Who's going to read me my bedtime stories? Mommy will. You're not going to kiss me tonight anymore, are you, Dad? No, I won't be able to do that. But I'll get to visit. I felt a heat in my eyes in a lot of moments during the movie. That was the one that I needed tissue for. <laughs> Favorite scenes or performances? The scene where Ted brings that one coworker back to his apartment, that was actually kind of funny for me. You just liked it because she was naked. There really wasn't much for her to show off. That was kind of disappointing, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, I guess he does have needs, but personally, myself, I would have never done that. She's a coworker. Things can go really bad really fast. In this day and age, HR would not let that go. Oh, we could spend a while talking about all the anachronisms if this was actually remade into now. (laughs) So many changes. You sound like you wish we could go back to that, Max. (laughs) I miss my lunch beers. They were great. 
You miss being able to smoke in your office. And all the secretaries walking around carrying my papers from one end to the other. We don't need them carrying papers. We just need something to look at every now and then. My favorite scene, hands down, is when Ted realizes he's been fired from his normal job and he has to scramble to get another one in time for his next court appearance. So there's a whole scene of him looking for work. He goes to one ad agency. They're having a Christmas party. They want to delay it until after the holiday season. And he uses all of his fast-talking, all of his confidence to get them to hire him ASAP, even though he knows that he's going to get paid less, he's overqualified, but he needs a job for his court battle. You do understand that the salary is uh, $4,800 a year less than you were making at Roth, Kane, and Donovan? Yes, I understand. Ms. Kramer, do you mind if I ask you why you're interested in a position for which you're clearly overqualified? I need the job. Uh, let me think about it. I'll let Jack know when you get in touch. No, this is a one-day only offer, gentlemen. You saw my book, you know I can handle the work. I'm willing to take a salary cut. The only thing is you're going to have to let me know today, not tomorrow, not next week, not at the, the end of the holidays. If you really want me, you make a decision right now. The man had to move the world. He moved the world. It was great. I loved it. Let's expand on Joanna, Meryl Streep's character, because I have more things to say about her. <laughs> Let's start with you, though, Max. You're the guest. Give her both barrels. <laughs> you head out from New York to California. You find a shrink, and that shrink helps you find yourself. And now you're back after 18 months with maybe one or two postcards that even your son at first wanted nothing to do with. You didn't even leave a return address for anyone to respond back to you. And now you just want to come back in? Just like nothing happened? Not just come back in, but come back and destroy what's already been picked up after 18 months. Kids will never respond well to sudden changes like that. I don't know why she thought that kind of sudden change is what Billy really wanted. That makes for great drama, obviously, because it got under our skin. It made us think about it and engage with it more. But on a broader narrative level... What do you think the movie's trying to say about her situation and Ted's situation? Her situation must have been so bad for her to want to walk out and throw everything away. And Ted should have been a better partner, but he was very unresponsive to her. He dismissed everything she said, maybe because of some narcissism, or maybe just because it was a sign of the times. The first scene where she confronts him and just blindsides them with her leaving, if it could have been on a normal day of the week, instead of the same night he finds out that his boss is making him his golden child, because just from what we see on screen, I could buy that Ted is not listening very well because his mind's just racing about the implications of his pseudo-promotion at the company. So if it was just a regular day in the office, then maybe we could see what a normal, everyday Ted response would be like to help her case more. Yeah, that's true. That would have been a lot better to see because, yeah, you get random news at work all the time. Like, oh, hey, we talked about your promotion last week. You'll be getting it next month if you keep up this work. That could literally show up at any day of the week. 
But all the other days before that happened, was he always this dismissive of a jerk? Was he always just making phone calls as soon as he busts through the door? I don't think he would have been, personally, because how busy could you be before getting some big news like that? And so much of it, I fill in the gaps, because we just all do it naturally. But then once I start criticizing it, I try to keep to just what we see on screen and extrapolate only what we can from what we're seeing. And specifically her character, if I'm looking at this from a script perspective, my criticism would be with all the monologue she has where she explains her reasons for leaving. She didn't even say goodbye to her son at the beginning. There should have been a scene where she justifies herself to her son. Actually have a moment between them with all the crap she spews. I'd like to see her do it in front of her kid. And if she can do it with a straight face, then maybe I'll respect her position a bit more. But it's hard to believe that she could say all those things she said in court and say it in front of her son and feel like she's got a leg to stand on. Later on in the movie, they establish, oh, she's done this before where she kind of runs away for like a night or two. What's going through my mind is thinking at this point, maybe right there when she was like in Billy to sleep, she didn't fully plan it out. She didn't fully plan on leaving. But then once the lights went out, that's when her mind started racing. Right now is my chance. Right now I should do this. Started packing up her luggage. But then forgetting that the last second, because of the heat in the moment, she started arguing with Ted about just wanting out. So something else must have happened during the elevator ride down, where she decided to hard commit to the whole leaving. There's evidence from their mutual friend that Joanna was planning this before that night. It's hard for me to believe that it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing. Maybe she'd been wanting to do it for the last three days, but she kept getting cold feet up until that day. And she just didn't know it at the time when she was putting Billy down. Maybe she thought, oh, I can't do it now. I'll probably do it tomorrow. It was that day because the cable bill needed to be paid the next week. So if she was going to do it and get Ted to take care of all the bills, she needed to do it then before the next <laughs> billing cycle. <laughs> <laughs> she was trying to be thoughtful enough before abandoning her family. Maybe she isn't <laughs> such a cold-hearted bitch after all. <laughs> Besides her, do you have any other criticisms for this movie? No, not really, actually. For the most part, I did enjoy this movie that I never heard about before. It makes me wonder, why didn't I hear about it in the past? Because you came from a nuclear household, whereas... I came from a broken, one-parent family. <laughs> so all the movies about single-parent households just automatically came to the surface for me. <laughs> you know, that actually does make some sense, not gonna lie. I'm kidding. I don't think I ever had a period where I was like, I need to go to the rental store and find stuff about single-parent father-son movies. It's what I need to fill that hole in my heart. <laughs> I need to look at all the covers and look for a kid that looks as sad as I do in my mirror. That one. It's like, oh, this uh, VHS cover has a mommy and a daddy on the cover. I don't want to watch <laughs> it now. <laughs> Thinking about this movie specifically, there was a time in college where I was reading a lot of scripts I happened to read Kramer vs. Kramer. Obviously, it really affected me, and that's how I was introduced to it, just by off chance. Hmm. 
So to go into a general discussion about today's subject, parenting, fatherhood, do you have any gripes about the way parental responsibilities or the relationships they have with their children, the way it's depicted in Hollywood? I haven't seen a lot of the modern stuff, so it's hard for me to base off of that. I want to say parenting has changed a lot between what I remember seeing back then in the 90s to now. For example, married with children. You have a nuclear family. There is a mom who occasionally cooks. There is a dad who just goes to work and comes back and just sits on the couch doing nothing. Parenting his two kids every now and then, but he just leaves them to do whatever they want. Nowadays, that would never happen in the average household for the modern millennial family couple. Unless there's some other hardship going on that it's hard to really judge from. I think at this point, there's a lot of fathers that do some homemaking. They do some cooking and cleaning. There are some mothers who, while still being a mom, take some time off to go do some job, whether it be a part-time or full-time job. Coming from that perspective, the old classic parenting methods are hokey at this point, and they just don't really happen nowadays without leading to divorce. Things have just become a lot more complicated since the way it was portrayed back then. Let's look at the economy, for example. At this point, there is no way anyone can support a family with just one income. It just can't happen. You can barely support yourself with your own job if you're working at minimum wage. It's unrealistic to believe that one parent can help everyone else survive. Both have to be working in some capacity. Wasn't Al Bundy a shoe exactly. salesman? <laughs> was he even the no, manager? No, he was just maybe the lead senior shoe salesman. That's about it. Yeah, how did he afford that giant house? That's the power of money back in the 80s. Well, that's the power of imagination in Hollywood. <laughs> so there's a show that Laura and I watched called Gilmore Girls. Watching that show early on, you're watching this mother-daughter duo, and you're kind of rooting for them for the most part. And I was okay with watching it throughout the seasons. But then after finishing the season once and watching it over and over again as I got older, I realized these two are terrible people. Yeah, you're supposed to be rooting for them, but all their qualities, they're not good. These people need a real reality check. This is not how the world works. And then they came out with this, not quite a revamp, but they came out with like a special on Netflix a few years ago. I was like, all right, the real world's finally hit them. I can stomach watching this because it's making them realize that they are not good people, that they don't deserve everything. And Laura being a super fan of the original, I recall she wasn't too happy with the revival, right? Yeah. The revival itself was pretty dumb. But the fact that it highlighted how terrible they were as human beings was the only reason why I kept going. I just want them to be shit on as much as possible. That makes an incredible segue, this idea about revisiting characters that don't look as good upon re-examination. <laughs> Could you give us a quick summary of Mrs. Doubtfire? Oh yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. I hadn't actually seen Mrs. Doubtfire all the way through. I always caught it a little bit on TV every now and then. I might have missed a few scenes here or there because I walk around instead of sitting down watching TV. So this is actually my first sit-down, full watch-through of Mrs. Doubtfire. And yeah, it's not exactly what I remember. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire is a movie about 
a guy played by Robin Williams, who is a bit of a struggling voice actor. He has things called morals and ideals that may interfere with his work. He goes home to his kids. He throws a birthday party for his middle son. And that is a catalyst that just sets everything off for his divorce because his wife is just fed up with the whole dynamic they have. They're always fighting with each other. He's not that great of a person when you think about it. They get divorced. He moves out. He has to find a job and show that he's a good father. So he creates this second persona called Mrs. Doubtfire in order to be a nanny to help his ex-wife hang out with his kids more. He's watching them as his nanny. He's helping them being a better person overall. And then the ex-wife brings home one of her co-workers, and that's where things start devolving. Not co-worker, client. Was it a client? Client, yes. You're talking about Stuart, yeah, obviously. Stuart. Pierce Brosnan. And this leads up to a scene in a restaurant where he gets revealed to be Mrs. Doubtfire. And the following scene is a court case where they decide family custody. He loses the case because they're like, you pretended to be an old woman. That's kind of weird. Maybe we should get your head checked out. You loved your kids, but that was a bit too much, man. Seeing as how it was your first watch, what were you left feeling when the movie ended? I felt sympathy for... Miranda. Sally Field. This is the inverse of Kramer vs. Kramer, where I'm just totally on her side in this. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I don't really want to be on her side because I don't really like mean women. But in this case, I felt she was justified. In what way was she mean? That wasn't justified. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's fair. It was all justified. You're right. <laughs> I think in both of these movies, you really put yourself into the father character, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like sports teams in the Super Bowl. It's like when the Patriots are playing, there's no way you're going to get me to root for the other side. <laughs> and that's what happened to you in this. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. In all of my previous glimpses into Mrs. Doubtfire, I was like, I kind of want to be like him. I want to be fun. I want to have my kids actually like me. But then watching it as an adult, I realize, no, you're just a moron. Your kids think you can be fun at times, but they don't respect you. Yeah, they want you to be around, but at the same time, you're not a good person for everyone else around you. He's so sanctimonious throughout this movie. He barely ever gives quarter. And Robin Williams specifically, weirdly, in retrospect, I like Robin Williams for his dramatic roles. And I think his fast-talking, flamboyant comedy style in a lot of his flicks back then get on my nerves as an adult. I don't think it's very funny. I can definitely see that. I didn't care for all of it. Maybe at first, when I was trying to remember the character, I was like, oh yeah, he does that every now and then. That's kind of quirky and okay. But then it becomes into that hate that you have. Oh, you're going to do this again? Okay. Eight-year-old me was watching an entirely different movie. <laughs> Were there any particular heartfelt moments that you identified with regarding Robin Williams' character, Daniel, and his three kids? 
Maybe that one scene where his kids were dropped off an hour late and picked up an hour early. Okay, that may not have been like a happy family moment, but that was a family moment that really affected me in a sense of like, wait, so not only did you cut this man's time short by being late, but you're cutting it off before you're supposed to? That's pretty unjust. That's not right for a father. Yeah, and it just feels so real, doesn't it? Are my children ready yet? No, our children are not ready yet, because you are an hour early, and you were an hour late dropping them off. Daniel, I'm really sorry, but I don't have time for this, all right? I have to go to the bank and the market. I have to drop something off at the newspaper office. I'm newspaper? sorry. Oh, are you taking out one of those personal ads? It's DWF, seeks WWM with BMW and do light B&D. I'm placing an ad for a housekeeper. Housekeeper? Why do you need a housekeeper? I need someone to be there when the children get home from school. To clean, possibly start dinner. How much are you going to pay this person? $300 a week, is that all right? May I see the ad? <sighs> Miranda, all just right. let me look at the ad. I have a right to stay further, right, please. Hugo, anything else you want to say? Are you offering? Not anymore. You say you're still going to have errands to run, so why even show up early? Just go run your errands, let them hang out with me a little bit longer, and then come pick them up. What's wrong with you? Why won't you do that? What do you think about Daniel as a father in this movie? Okay, bad dad. That's a really easy example. It's almost like in the second scene where he's picking up his kids from school. Okay, you're being a good dad. And you're going to throw the middle kid a birthday party despite the fact that his mom said no because he got a bad report card. You're not supporting your wife, his mother. You're going against her wishes. You're supposed to respect that. That's being a bit of a bad dad, in my opinion. Because while you're being a good dad to the kids, you're also destroying your wife's credibility by doing that. Because if you keep doing things like that, your kids are going to think, mom didn't give me things the way I wanted him to. I'll go to dad. He'll flip things around for me. In that scene, the big thing I kept thinking about was not only does he go against his wife, but he also hires a petting zoo, tears up everything in the house. And you know, because he's not the primary financial source in the family, it's all on her dime. Yeah, I didn't even want to talk about the money in that moment. <laughs> residence ma'am yes I'm sorry to say it is are you aware that it's illegal to possess animals of a barnyard nature in a residential area ma'am what if you married the one also responding to a noise ordinance violation Maybe i'm going to respond myself i'm awfully sorry about this brenda what's up your home early girlfriend just the straight up disrespect from that first bit is like all right all right you gotta go there's no way that was the first time he did something like that. I found him so, so unlikable because he never really seems to atone for his character flaws. And he spies on his wife. He gets caught and comes out unscathed by the end. It's like, what a dickhead. I totally sided with Sally Field throughout the entire movie. She absolutely should have ended up with Stuart. I'm surprised that the whole Mrs. Doubtfire character survived the restaurant scene because I was thinking to myself, Everyone saw this woman, this elderly nanny woman, have her face ripped off to be revealed as a man. There's no way the media didn't catch wind of this. And when they see the same person on TV, be like, hey, that's the one from the restaurant. 
She's actually a man. You think that in the universe of this movie, his Mrs. Doubtfire character for children's TV, that they kept it secret that it's actually a man? <laughs> I didn't get that at all. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, would they really be okay with having a man portray an elderly woman on a children's TV show back in, was it, like, 93? It might be difficult, but I almost feel like that's part of the reason they set it in San Francisco, because it's a bit more liberal. But the TV show is being popularized everywhere in the U.S. They're talking about it at the end. It's like, oh yeah, no, we're hitting places like Michigan and Pennsylvania. All places that came to them, because it was originally a regional children's show, and then it got popular and got picked up by all these affiliates. There are a lot of liberal places in America. Yeah, but I don't think they would be that liberal to a point where there wouldn't be any backlash. As a parent, would it have pissed you off to find out that Barney was played by a woman? No, because I know Barney is a fake purple dinosaur, and I'm pretty sure they just kept changing the person in the costume. I would have been okay with that because you don't actually know what Barney is. <laughs> As good as the makeup effects were, I would contest that you don't really know what Mrs. Dowfire is either. Oh, that one scene where they had a close-up of his eyes and you could kind of see where the latex ends and his skin begins was a little creepy for me. There are a couple of moments where he's smiling and it's a close-up on his face. No, you shouldn't get that close. Especially with today's <laughs> technology with 4K. Tear check, Max. Did anything in this movie get you particularly emotional? No, not at all. Yeah, same here. Not very effective in that regard. That being said, favorite scenes or performances? Favorite scene? Yeah, give me a second on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get the ball rolling. I want more Harvey Firestein. He plays Daniel's brother. He's the guy that is the makeup artist and helps Daniel put together the persona. He disappears in the second act, and he gets name-dropped once at the very end. It's like, what a shame. Give me more Harvey. His very last scene is when he's giving him the second mask, right? Because the first one got run over by the truck? Yeah. Have you thought of a favorite scene or performance? The teenage girl did come out pretty harsh, and it was accurate of hating anyone else that wasn't her dad just the vitriol and like the daggers yeah i could agree with that i could see that being a good performance for her character isn't she also the only one that ever really looks down on her dad after the divorce yes from what i remember because he's a failure I thought you were going to go a different way with that and say she stands out because she's the one that has some truth to the situation. All three of those kids should have been like the older daughter at times and not given the dad the time of day. He was just so wrong in this movie. <laughs> dad, when are you going to grow up? We sure did. Without <laughs> you. How about criticisms? There's a scene where they're trying different prosthetics and trying to get his character made up. And the whole time he's still goofing around with other different caricatures before he reverts back to the Mrs. Doubtfire. So what was the whole point of everything else beforehand? 
Considering he used the Mrs. Doubtfire voice in the phone interview with the ex-wife, and he's doing a Latin accent at one point in that montage. So what, you thought you were going to show up with a heavy Latin accent and fool her? Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. Were the scenes reversed and then switched later on? Yeah, the way it's presented, you're right. It's so contrived. There's no reason for him to wildly pretend to do those other personas. The first movie was a little over 100 minutes. Mrs. Doubtfire is just over two hours. There's no reason for this ostensible family comedy to be that long. This could have been tighter. For instance, there's a plot thread where Daniel's two oldest kids discover he's Mrs. Doubtfire. The fact that that isn't leveraged in any other scene... There's a moment where Miranda is with her daughters and asks Mrs. Delphire to comment on what to wear to dinner. And she says, we need another woman's opinion. By that point, the oldest daughter knew the secret. There should have been a reaction shot of her rolling her eyes or something because she knows that that's her dad. Am I wrong? Was there a single moment where that ever came up again before he got totally outed? Amongst the kids? No. I think the whole time... It was just, all right, we're going to pretend you're our nanny, despite that we know you're our daddy. If they just go back to pretending it's Mrs. Dalfire, then what was the whole point for them to find out in the first place? They don't use it. It's like they only had that scene there so we could see Mrs. Dalfire peeing standing up. Stuff like that could just be cut out. It does nothing for the movie, the overall story. What I'm thinking to myself is, they wouldn't have used it to blackmail him because they clearly want him to be back in their lives. They're not going to use it against him. At the same time, they could have used it to support him and keep using it to sell the idea of like, you know, we kind of missed Dad. He was pretty awesome. And be basically Mrs. Deppfire's hype man slash. Let's tell you about our dad and why he's so great. All great ideas, man. There are a couple of scenes where he has to juggle between being himself and being Mrs. Doubtfire in the same scene. How about where his dress rips and then the kids have to help him hide the fact that he's got a twig and berries under there? <laughs> How about going back to that scene where he's giving input on the dress? Why couldn't the daughter have you know, helped out and been like, yeah, mom, you don't want to look like a slut. Let's be a little bit more conservative. Also, instead of Daniel accidentally revealing the ruse to his wife, have him fess up to it deliberately. There's a line in the movie early on where he says, what am I doing here? This is beyond obsession. And I was saying to myself, yes, Robin Williams, it is beyond obsession. How great would it have been if he realized lying to his ex-wife wasn't the way to proceed and he confessed? In the whole movie, does he ever take responsibility for being a screw-up? No, he never really corrects himself as a character. He just evolves into a different character, but not necessarily into the ideal character he could have been. The closest moment he comes is when he's Mrs. Dalfire. he's sitting with his ex-wife. She tells him about all the bad stuff that had happened in her marriage and how she just wanted out for so long. And there's a push-in, maybe it's dawning on him, all the problems that were there that he had a hand in. But then nothing comes of that, and then at the end, when the judge decides in her favor, 
This is the most high horse bullshit. Your Honor, in the past two months, I have secured a residence. I've refurbished that residence and made it an environment fit for children. I'm also holding down a job as a shipping clerk. So I, I believe I met your requirements. I had a schedule. In regards to my behavior, I can only plead insanity. Ever since my children were born, the moment I looked at them, I was crazy about them. Once I held them, I was hooked. I'm addicted to my children, sir. Basically, what he says in that scene is, Look, Your Honor, yes, I dressed up like a woman, I lied to my ex-wife, I invaded her privacy, but it's all okay because I love my children. The ends justify the means. I don't know what the problem is here. What are we even doing this for? That's totally what he's saying in that moment. And you have that really uh, hopeful music playing. You're really supposed to be on his side. It plays as a farce. No, Robin Williams. Your character should go to jail or something. Did it? hit you this way as well at the beginning when he's doing voiceover for a cartoon and the character's smoking a cigarette and he quits in protest because he doesn't want kids to see that. Okay, you have a moral objection to it. Obviously, I'm with you there. However, being adult is doing things you don't want to do because at the end of the day, they'll have a positive effect on your life, i.e., yeah, you want to quit, but you can't quit because you barely make any money as is and you'll be pulling even less weight in your family. So he just comes off as a child. He could have handled the situation a whole lot better as an adult. Instead of just straight up quitting, could have been like, guys, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I think I need to back out of this particular project, but I want to keep working with you guys. Even though you're still trying to market cigarettes to kids, is there anything else you can have me do in a different capacity away from this sin? That felt hokey. Early 90s, were there characters not only smoking, but literally it's an advertisement for smoking in the middle of a cartoon? Oh, no, that was back in the 60s and 70s. By the 90s, we had Sane and Dare come in and be like, smoking's bad for you, don't do it. Drugs are bad. It's a cartoon. That means there's a script, which means it's not like they just thrust it upon him last second. Oh, hey, could you also say how much smoking is cool? <laughs> he read the script. You know, just another reason he's a dick. It's kind of sad how I went into this thinking, oh yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire, he wasn't such a bad guy. He was just misunderstood. By the end <laughs> of it, I came out like, no, I would have never done any of this stuff. I hope I never do any of this stuff. But at least I can recognize when I go too far and I need to backtrack things. There you go. So actually that might be a point in its favor. If you are similar to a Robin Williams character, maybe you should check out this movie and realize you're an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> One of my favorite segments of this show, Rat. Random asinine thoughts and trivia. Max, did any randomness pop into your head during either of these two movies? Ted is so short. I didn't realize how short Dustin Hoffman was compared to, like, other people. 
Aren't all the women throughout the movie, aren't they all taller than he is? At least some of them were. Oh, except for maybe his assistant. Everyone else is still maybe half an inch to like four inches above him. Like, Jesus. I'm surprised you're able to survive in Hollywood. What else you got? Billy's portrayal as a kid. Yeah, very accurate. I thought he did a great job. Kids are very picky about their food. They're very picky about their routines. They hold grudges. You have to treat them like adults half the time. And other times you have to be careful with your words and explain things to them so that they can try to start wrapping their head around why they shouldn't put their knife in the wall socket. He was actually nominated for an Oscar for his performance. The best kid performances... I think they need to be annoying in at least one or multiple scenes that they're in. A lot of portrayals of kids is them seeming so smart for their age and so mature, almost like an adult wrote their dialogue. There are a couple of scenes in Kramer vs. Kramer where Billy is just a little snot, but every time I'm coming back to a gun, he's like seven years old. That explains it. But if a kid isn't annoying in that way, at least a couple times, I don't believe it. I'm going to tell you right now, it's okay to not like kids. I understand. (laughs) They're not for everyone, and I don't recommend them for everyone either. (laughs) I got a couple for you. Miranda Sally Field. She totally gets Me Too'd by Stuart at the beginning. He's her client, and in their first scene together... They're going over architectural plans or something. His express reason for being there is that they dated in college. He wants to get back together with her. I forget if he's like massaging her shoulders. Oh, no. Dude, this is totally inappropriate. And she plays it off with grace. Well, you know, you're so kind to say that you want to take me out for dinner, but I don't know if that's appropriate. Absolutely, it's inappropriate, and he's being a jerk. Bruh, you could have found her on the phone book instead of trying to use your job connection and get closer to her. You could have literally waited outside her building and bumped into her by accident. There were other ways to do this without making it weird in the workplace. All the straight white male adults in this movie are just awful. (laughs) (laughs) In the scene where the middle child catches Daniel peeing upright in his Mrs. Doubtfire get-up. So he chases his son out into one of the bedrooms. The middle child finds the oldest daughter, and at first they don't know what's going on. They think it's some prowler. And then he reveals, no, no, I'm daddy. He goes, okay, calm down, kids. Do me a favor, don't tell the little one because she's going to tell everybody my secret. Are we in this together, gang? And what do they do? They do a team huddle. They do a team handshake. And the whole time I'm thinking, gross, he didn't wash his hands. And because he got startled and ran out of that bathroom, you know he got some piddle on his hands. You're not wrong. I kind of wondered about that when I was watching it. But I was also thinking to myself, he took a long time to get out of the bathroom. Maybe, just maybe he did the magic water thing and just shook off his (laughs) hands and ran out. A real dad would have locked the bathroom door. I know. I thought that was so weird. I learned through experience that no matter what you do, the moment you go through that doorway, you lock the door. 
Especially with that many people in the house. Does that mean he never locked the door when he was there beforehand? How many times did his kids walk in on him? <sighs> now, for Kramer versus Kramer, it grossed over $173 million on an $8 million budget, making it the number one movie that year. It won Best Picture, Director, Actor, Supporting Actress, and Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars, which was the most wins that year. Well-deserved. Pretty incredible that it was such a phenomenon back then. I don't know what was in the zeitgeist. Could you imagine a family drama like that in today's dollars made that much money and got all those accolades now? It's just unthinkable. I don't think it would happen nowadays because people would look at that father as he is and be like, nah, he's a bum. I bet he never once changed the diaper in his life. Moving on to The Weaker Companion. We're going to go through these two movies. Which one was the weaker this or that? Weaker plot? Doubtfire. Agreed. Weaker ending. Doubtfire. Kramer versus Kramer. Weaker lead character. Doubtfire. Yes. Weaker portrayal of the ex-wife as a three-dimensional person. Kramer versus Kramer. Yes, I would also say that, but just because I like Sally Field, I think both characters weren't served very well for different reasons. Weaker message surrounding fatherhood. Doubtfire. <laughs> I don't think anybody doubted that it was going to be Doubtfire. And finally, the TSC overall score. On a scale of 1 to 4, 1 being not worth finishing, 2 worth a watch, 3 worth seeing multiple times, and 4, it belongs on some kind of list. Max, give me your ratings for Doubtfire and Kramer. Oh, man. I'm going to start with the better one. I'm going to start with Kramer versus Kramer. I'm going to give that a four. Wow. It really was a good movie in my opinion. Like, I've never heard of it. I'm disappointed that not more people have mentioned that before. It, in my opinion, it was really that great. Well, hey, buddy, you're welcome. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> for me, getting you to watch it. As for Mrs. Doubtfire, I'm between a two and a three because... It doesn't hold up as well as it did back then. It might be worth multiple viewings just to try and catch other things you didn't see the first time. Just little details here and there. That are going to make this movie better? Might help make it a bit more interesting. Okay, what are the chances that you'll watch Mrs. Doubtfire again in the next 20 years? Alright, you know what? Yeah, let's give it a two. Well, that's very generous of you. I'm going to go one for Doubtfire, if you've seen it before. However, if you've never seen it, then I suppose it's a two. It's worth a watch. And for Kramer vs. Kramer, I'm going to give it a solid three. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? What's her name? Sally Field. She was a lot older than her co-stars in that movie. I was watching it the whole time wondering to myself, man, she looks a little bit more haggard. What's going on here? I had to look up their ages. I want to say I'm at least five years older. But for some reason, it didn't show well on her face. 
be fair, half the movie Robin Williams is in heavy prosthetics. And the other half, she's yelling. That too, she scowls a lot in this movie, doesn't she? Learning the lines, I guess they were particularly simple for her. Daniel! 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 (laughs) I don't know if it's better to put this in rats or final thoughts, but... I'm about to have a second kid. Wow. And yeah, by the time this comes out, I'm pretty sure they'll be out here. Jeez, Max. Audience, you're hearing it along with me for the first time. I was always wondering if you guys were going to go for a second. Now, we were thinking about it for a while. We wanted to see how things would turn out. And since I didn't turn out to be like any of these dads when they first started off, I think I'm good to go for a second one. If you ever feel like putting on an Abuelita costume, things will be wrong for you. Honestly, watching Kramer vs. Kramer, I was like, this is what I could have been like if I was super narcissistic and self-absorbed. Because I felt like Laura might have gone a similar path had it not been, you know what? You want to go back to working as a teacher? You do that. I'll be here every step of the way. All you have to do is just be supportive and you won't lose everything. Congratulations, sir. Thanks. 